Thank you. I am Daniel Bud, one of the pastors here, and it's such a joy to be with all of you this morning and to celebrate in a few minutes the Lord's Supper together. In my neighborhood, there was a big house, maybe the biggest house. And a few years ago, we went in foreclosure, and it stood there for about four years, empty. The windows broken. The, ro the roof was leaking. And the plumbing and the electric, everything was ripped off. And we thought that there is no hope that somebody will have to just take it down completely. But last year, it was sold in an auction. And this year, it was flipped. And there are new owners. The house was restored. And the other day, I was talking with a new owner, and he said, you know what? They spend a lot of money on this house to make it look nice. But there are so many projects I discover right now. Because he said, they put the old paint... They put the, old, the, the new paint on the old paint before stripping it off really well. So the old paint chips off and pushes off the nice new coat of paint. And you start to see the real colors that are under the new coat of paint. And he said, I'm going to have to do a lot of projects at his house. At some point he said, I might even have to gut it again and do it all over. You see, our lives are like that. Sometimes we come to Christ, we come to Christ and we just say, well, if we just embrace a little bit of faith here and there, a little bit of church and religion, and we just put a nice coat of paint over us, maybe sing a few songs, participate in a few activities, we say, we are all set. Everything is all right. Until later in life when somebody steps on our toes and or rubs us the wrong way, says the wrong words to us. And then the old self comes and pushes the new self out and starts to fight, starts to become the same, the same, the same old. So what Paul is trying to say to us today is that under all of us, underneath our surface, all of us have this older person, older self. We have somebody that is there and needs to be changed. If you come to Christ, you need to change that, to put it off. And that's what Paul uses in this letter. We continue this morning, our journey through the book of Ephesians, we are in chapter 4, and the topic is putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Just follow with me some of the verses there. So I tell you this, Paul says, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, 
they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not how the way you learn Christ when you heard about him and you were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by the deceitful desire to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The truth is that all of us want change. We want to change but we often do not know how to do it. But just think about it. So many self-help, self-improvement books, so many counseling, so many sessions where people say, I need to change. I need to change something about me. I need to come out. Maybe I need to let something that is in me come out. I need to discover the real me. I need to unleash the real me. I need to do a few things to live the happy, perfect life that I need. So I would like us this morning to just look at the questions that Paul raises based on this quest text. Basically the first one is why? Why do we need to change? Is there a reason? I like what uh, Tim Keller, and he helped me a lot in this sermon, he was very helpful. He said this. He said um, the idea that you need to be born again, being born again, which means that you go through radical change is a pretty great idea. But very, very often, he says, we don't know how that change actually happens. We don't know how. We know that it's a good idea, and yet we don't have a clue sometimes. So how does it happen? How does it happen? Why do we need to change? How do I change? Is the second one. And finally, I would like us to look at once we are changed, what does it mean to have a changed mind? What does it mean that we have changed? So what do we, why do I change, you know? First, it's very interesting that Paul says there is something that happens, you know. You were taught, he says, you were taught, you learned this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. There is a former way of life, Paul says. So why do you need to change? Because you moved from one form of life to a new form of life. And this is what Paul says, you were taught... To put off your old self and to put on the new self. To put off an old self, take it off, and to put on a new self. To discard something and to take up, put on something else. It's an interesting idea because you see the, the Greek verb there, to put off and put on. In English, it's just put off, put on, and uh, everybody kind of understands English here. But the Greek uses a tense, a verb tense, that is very interesting, very hard to translate. In fact, it's harder to translate in most languages. I still remember, uh, it's, it's, it's about a, a single past action, something that is completed in the past. But, but imagine I was in the seminary, and I remember learning about this tense in Greek, and 
it was at the beginning of my studies, and just imagine, so I was learning in my second language, is English, about the tenses in Greek, the third language, sort of. <laughs> and it made all sense, don't worry. <laughs> it was tough, uh, but I, I, just, I just appreciate your patience and working with me on this. It's not easy to translate, like I said. But put off the old self and put on the new self is something that happened to us if we are Christians. And that's what Paul says with regard to your former way of life. You have to do that. And then he says, I insist on it in the Lord. It's not just I am just telling you this. This is I insist in the Lord. In other words, Paul says, I go on record, just so you know, as a representative of the Lord. I speak on the Lord's behalf now. And I insist on it in the Lord that this is a must. You must do this. This change is a must for you. It's not a suggestion. It's not optional. It's not recommended. It's demanded of you. And then Paul says, do you want to see why? Because even the Gentiles, even the Gentiles must change when they come to Christ. It's interesting that Paul uses Gentiles, you know. Earlier, he calls them Gentiles. He says, I, Paul, in verse 1 of chapter 3, says, who is in prison for you Gentiles. They were Gentiles who came to Christ, who changed their old ways of life and came and joined the church. And Paul says, Gentiles must change when they meet Christ. Christ meets you where you are, you come to Christ as you are, but you'll never leave the same. He will never leave you the same person. He will change you. And Paul says, do you want to see what kind of a life you had? And maybe, this, maybe this is one of the strongest critiques of the culture that we even find in the Bible. Just think about this, this culture in which Paul writes. And this is what he says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do. You must change. Why? Because they live in the futility of their thinking. There's not much purpose. There's not much goal. There's not much sense. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They are not unintelligent, but regard to God's ways, they are ignorant. Due to the hardening of their hearts, their hearts have become callous. It's like a little heart of somebody that is, is sick and becomes so callous that it's not soft anymore, it's not working anymore well. And then he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. As to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. They think that they are free people, and that's what the culture says today. Oh, we are free people. We don't need religion. We don't need God. We are spiritual in our own way, and we are free to do whatever we want. Not knowing that they are slaves to their old self and to the sinful desires of their own self. So why do we need to change? 
Because there is a life that we have to abandon. Because there is a lifestyle that Paul says, you ought not to live that lifestyle. So Gentiles must change when they come. But you might say, well, what about me? I grew up in Catholicville, right? You might say. I always went to church. And I remember there was a, a friend of mine who, uh, who said, it didn't click until I was about 30. I grew up in Grand Rapids, went to the Christian school system, graduated from Calvin, took a great job, and now I'm working in this ministry. But he said, until I was about 30, it never clicked to me. And he said, that's when I felt that I surrendered my life to Christ. I went through the motion, he said. I was baptized. I professed faith when I was a teenager. And so Paul says, it must be something else that we do in our lives. It must be something real. It must be a meeting with Christ that has an impact on us. And it's an, an impact in the past. Paul says, it must be a decision. Change is a decision. I'm not sure when it happens to you. And it, it can be several decisions that are leading you to that place. You know, it's like several, like somebody said, you, everyone has to find or discover their own epiphany. That is, meeting with God, when God met you. I remember for me, for me, I will say it was a major one, but then I had a lot of other ones. So it was almost like a process. Like you, like many of you, I grew up in Romania in the church. Both me and my wife, we grew up in the church. We went to church like the others. We went to Sunday school and accepted Christ at an early age. But I still think that when I was 14, I made my major decision to follow Christ. And I was baptized as an infant at 15. I think that those were milestones in my journey. But I can tell you, even when I went in the army at 18, I still had to put off my old self. There were some things that I still had to put off. And then at 20, when I started college, it was a Christian college that taught me so much about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I still had to put off so many other things, sinful things of my old self of my old nature, sinful natures. And I had to put on the new self. And we are still in that process. We are still in the process. We still go through that. But you need to know that there should be a decision or two or three or more when you can say, yes, I know what Paul is talking here about. I know what he means. I know what it means. Because I met Christ that way too. He came to me that way too. Maybe it was a conference. Maybe it was a book that you read. Maybe a Bible study you attended. Maybe in the church, in a worship service. There are so many places where God can reach out down and grab you. Grab yourself and challenge you with His power. Do you know what it means to be captured by Christ's love? What it means to your heart to be surrounded by His grace? Do you remember when He took your heart and just smashed it and broke it? And maybe you fell down on your knees and you said, Lord, you are breaking me. I need you now because I am broken. And then when you were broken, maybe you had a moment when you were broken and you were so desperate and He came and He healed your heart. He healed your broken heart. Through His power, He put the pieces of your broken heart together. 
And you stood up and you said, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. It's amazing grace. It's amazing abundant joy. It's extraordinary. It's transforming grace. How do I change then, Paul says? How do I get to this place? And the change must come from the inside. It's always from the inside. Paul says, put off and put on. And the language is that of a coat, of, a, of, of something that you put on and put off. You take a coat and you put it off, and you take another one, you put it on. You see, it's very interesting that even in the ancient times, the Greek philosopher and the others, you know, they talk about virtues and vices, and this exchange of virtues and vices. And, uh, for example, they will say, Oh, it's like a cloak, you know, it's like a, like a coat. You, you just put off hate and you put on love. You put off laziness and you put on diligence. You put off pride and you put on humility. And this idea was common for that time, but it was very uncommon, very radical to talk like Paul. Paul's teaching is so radical that he says, yeah, you do that, right? Like in a house, you put paint on. But I'm talking about something else, Paul says. You put off your old self and you put on your new self. It's a total change of who you are as a person, not just what you behave. You see, behavior comes later. And I think that Pastor Ron is going to touch next week, you know, from verse 25. That's what Paul is doing. He's going to start and, and contrast these virtues and vices. And then he's going to go into concrete examples. What does it mean to be changed, transformed? But here, Paul says, there's something in your core that has to change. In your core, in who you are. Maybe the greatest challenge for us is to understand this. That Christ wants to change us from the inside. One way to understand it is to know that your old self is, like Paul says, is sinful and is to do, you need to do something with it. And you cannot take it to the psychologist. You cannot take it to the courts of law and demand justice. And there's nothing you can do by going to a religion and say, yo, do and improve yourself. Do these five things or take the eightfold path. And then you will reach to, to this place of blessedness and happiness. Paul says, no, my old self has to go back to the cross. And that's what he says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I, I live, but it's not only me who lives. Because myself, Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. And from now on, it is not I that lives. I, I put my old self on the cross and nail it on the cross. Christ nailed it then. So basically for us Christian is... When, when did you realize in your life, when did you experience the fact that your old self is not anymore you, but is on the cross being crucified? And Paul says, from now on I live, but it is not I that lives, but Christ who is in me. He lives as my new self. So in a way we look at each other and we say we are all little copies of Christ, imitators of Christ, servants of Christ. Slaves of Christ. And he says, there is something more, Paul says. It's not just an external change, right? And I think that maybe the, the greatest challenge for us as a church 
and for the culture to understand Christianity and any religion, basically, because most religions promote morality. And I would like us to look at this question. Is it, when you talk about Christianity, is it about becoming more moral? Is it just about becoming a more moral person? People will look at Christianity that are outside and they will say, really, so what does it mean for me to be a Christian if I, if I live with somebody else? Do I really have to marry that person? That means to be a Christian? Or do I need to, to forgive my mom? Is that what it means to become a Christian? Or do I need to give more to charity and to others and help others and spend less on myself? Is that what it's about? And many people understand wrongly that religion is like that. And many religions are like that. They say, yeah, you do these five things. And but Paul says, no, it's not about that. Remember... In the United States, I think, you know, in the, in the 50s and even earlier, you know, there were some common norms of behavior. People will say, we don't do those things. It was this social pressure on our society to say, you have to conform to a certain standard. You know, we, we believe in the Judeo-Christian ethics and morality, and we have to behave in a certain way. But there was, a, I would say, an exterior pressure on us. And when the exterior pressure was gone, what we discovered is, that we had a set of morality that was just external behavior. It was no internal change. Our self was the same, sinful old self. Nothing has changed. So Paul says, but you must change from the inside. You might be transformed from the inside. So the first question, is Christianity just about morality? The second se se section, what question is, what motivates you? Why do you do what you do? You see, it's so hard in Christian faith to say, well, I'm just a good person, right? Because I am called to be a good person. Well, that's true. But how do you motivate somebody? What, what's the motivation be behind wanting to be a good person? Somebody said, how do you motivate a child to behave like a Christian, right? And I think that uh, somebody helped me with this and said, we use two tricks. One is to instill in them fear. We will say, you know, if you behave this way, then you will get a reward. But if you don't, then, you know, make sure that, you know, there's consequences. I'm going to take your iPad away or your phone. I'm going to just... No, so if you behave that way, no screens for, for a week. So, but that's fear. Basically saying to our children, you know, if you do this, you must behave in a certain way. But the other way is pride, you know. I, my family never worked with pride. We always kind of worked with fear. You know, I grew up with, you know, if you behave this, that's, you know, basically my parents say you go to hell. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you do this, you know, you'll go to hell. You know, that was kind of the, scare, the fear thing, the fear factor. But there are other families, and maybe that's yours, who will say, you know, our family, we do not lie. You know, we, we are not that kind of a people that are liars. We just, we tell the truth. And all of these are good reasons. Why do you do those things? Because of good reasons. You are a good family. But if something happens and you are pushed further away, you will see that morality based on fear or pride takes you only this far. Because if the stakes are high, you will break out of it. So that's why you need your final reason for why we are moral people. To be because we are rooted in God. Not because we fear God, but because, like the Reformed faith says, because we do what we do because we are grateful. We do it out of gratitude and love to God. 
Not because we want to earn those things, but because we know that Christ Jesus already obeyed all of those things for us. And he gives us freely those things to enjoy. And then finally, the third question, how do you know what's right or wrong? How do you decide what's wrong or right? In philosophy, they call this the epistemology thing. You know, how do you know, you know what to do? And I think the easiest answer for us is, you know, friends, culture, media, TV, Facebook, Instagram, right? Pinterest and Twitter. Or it can be the Word of God. Those are good things sometimes, you know, to explore. But the final authority for, for deciding what's good and what's wrong, what's right and what's wrong, is indeed the Word of God. You see... Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I like how Paul says that. Let the message of Christ dwell. It's almost like, like it's an alien being, the message of Christ that dwells in you, something that dwells inside of you. And that's why Paul says the Word of God is like a living thing. It's something that lives, has a life of its own. It's not just here in the Scripture. The, the, the Word of God takes root in you. It's like something goes inside you and it has the power to change you from the inside. And that's what Paul says. Let the word of God, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. You take the word in and you feed with it yourself. You give food to yourself by taking God's word in. So how do you know what's good, what's right, What's wrong? The ultimate authority is God's word, not our desires, because the word changes us from the inside. And finally, Paul says, if you let the word change you, you'll have a changed mind. What does it mean, a changed mind? You know, what does it mean? Do we have a changed mind? This is what he says in verse 20. He says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. The verb there is not the hours, you know, the single past. Is like this, made new in the spirit of your thinking is even a better translation, I think. He wants us to make us new in the spirit of our thinking. I've never even thought that those two words can be put together. That the spirit, that there is a spirit of our minds, of our thinking. And Paul says you need to be made new. Now made new is not a one-time occurrence. It's basically a verb that is present progressive. Which means you have to be made new all the time. It is continuously, you are being made new in the spirit of your thinking. In other words, the direction of your mind, the direction of your mind, and the heart of your thinking is being made new. Maybe you know this person, uh, Mel Trotter was, um, at the beginning of the last century, you know, he was a great guy that uh, made this ministry uh, Mel Trotter Ministry is a, a shelter for the homeless and offers a lot of food and stuff like that downtown. But he didn't grow up like that. You know, he was basically an alcoholic, somebody who uh, lived uh, almost day by day and uh, his family was in disarray. He didn't care for his kids and wife and stuff like that. And one time in Chicago, he was in Chicago, and uh, he got out of uh, a pub a bar, and he said, I'm going to just kill myself. I'm going to throw myself in Lake Michigan and die. But he was so drunk that he was dragging himself on the streets. Maybe you know the story. I'm sure you heard it many times. But there was a mission. And at that mission, it was winter. 
He had, uh, by the way, he had no, no shoes on him, so he was starting to kind of freeze to death. But at that mission, the, the, the idea was somebody will stay outside the door. And the, the guy, even if, you know, in that cold winter, he was standing outside and he saw him dragging himself, trying to kill himself. And from that moment, Mel Trotter lost his consciousness. He doesn't know, but he knows that he woke up in a church service. He woke up in a church service and the pastor was preaching. And he just heard the call. And at the end of the message, the pastor said, Jesus loves you. And so do I. Put up your hand for prayer. Let God know you want to make room for him in your heart. And still having a difficulty walking fast, he dragged himself towards the altar and gave his life to Christ that day. And he says that he experienced a freedom that he's never experienced before. He had no more desire to drink alcohol ever. He was released instantly. And he started to know the power of Christ in his life. The power of Christ that can transform someone's life. And he said, if Christ changed me, changes me like that, he can change anyone. And that's when he started the ministry. And he gave his life for Christ. And he worked for Christ. And he worked to rescue people from the street, the homeless people, those who are in need. He was one of those who Christ took out of the cold world, snatched him out, and brought him into his kingdom of love. You see, Paul says, you did not come to learn Christ that way. It's very unusual again. Usually when you learn something, you learn an object or you learn a body of truth. But Paul says, you learn Christ. How can you learn a person? How can you learn a person? And Paul says there's a way that you can learn a person because that person will go in your inside. You will know the person intimately. You know the power of that person. And that person will change you from the inside out. What does it mean to have a changed mind? What does it mean to be changed? How can we be changed? By looking at what Christ did for you. And that's what I'm invited to do this morning. We come to the Lord's Supper, and he says, I want to change you from the inside. I want you to let me go inside. And the bread and the wine is basically Christ saying, you need me. You need me in your inside, and I can change you from the inside. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, and we give you thanks for the power that still transforms lives. And we give you for the invitation to rejoice, to rejoice in your grace, in your mercy, and to rejoice that there is a power, that there is a way for us in which we can put off the old self and put on the new self. And we ask that you will teach us how to live as people who have been changed in the power of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.